Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. I'm going to begin this morning um, reading from Mark chapter 12. On one occasion, a teacher of the law came to Jesus and asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these And so we have the two greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, A few weeks ago, Kelly already went over the first of those commands, love God. Uh, And so today we're going to look at the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In many ways, it's a pretty simple command. Uh, I think it's easy to understand. Most of us would agree that it's a good rule to live by. And so in one sense, this is a very non-radical statement that Jesus makes. Most of us understand that we should love. We understand that if we all would live by this command, then the world would surely be a better place. On the other hand, we know that there are those that ignore this command. There are those who are selfish, those who are greedy, those who see others as expendable, those who fall into the traps of racism, of cheating, of stealing, those who fail to have compassion on others who are in need. And I think we can all acknowledge that these things are bad. Surely I can recognize this wrong in others. But then I think about it and I I start to realize that I often am that person. I often am that selfish one. I'm the one who puts my own interests first. Yes, sometimes I love, but do I really love my neighbor as myself? The words of Jesus get harder. Uh, He continues in Luke this time. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, well, then turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Well, things just got a lot harder. 
I get that it's important to love. And I can even, well, I can certainly love those who are nice to me, although I did just say that I don't even do that perfectly. But I can even love those that I disagree with so long as they only disagree with me to a point. And if they mistreat me a little bit, sure, maybe I can love them. But if they hate me, if they make a habit of mistreating me, am I really still supposed to love them? And like I said, even though it makes sense that I should love, the fact is I still regularly fail at loving even those who love me. I know that it's far too often that I act selfishly. I act in unloving ways even to those who love me the most. I want to love, but I don't always love. And so we know that we should love. And so in that sense, Jesus' words are not radical. But we don't know how. We don't really want to. We can't love. And in that sense, Jesus' words are very radical. If you were to ask the rich young ruler, I think he would certainly tell you that Jesus' words are radical. We read his story in Matthew chapter 19. A man came up to Jesus, and he asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commands. Well, which ones? He inquired. And Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? So Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This young man was following many of the commands, or at least he claimed so. He said, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't lie. But when he gets to the last one, we see Jesus start to challenge him. He challenges him to show that he's living out the two greatest commands. He says, show that you love God above all else by giving away all of your earthly possessions. And then love your neighbor as yourself, something you claim that you do, but show it by bestowing on your needy neighbor the many gifts and treasures that you have accumulated for yourself. And so the young man goes away sad because he does not want to give away this great wealth. And so, as I said, the words of Jesus to this young man are very radical. 
And like the rich young ruler, I find that I too often cannot live up to the call of these greatest commands. And so we can agree, perhaps, that the teaching of Jesus is good, but we don't know how to follow this teaching. We know the world will be better if we love in this way, but we wonder if it's really realistic. Well, we've got some good news. And the good news is that not only do we have Jesus' words to teach us, although those are certainly important, but we also have his actions. His actions that speak volumes to teach us as well. Love, after all, is not just words. Love is in our actions. And the same is true for Jesus. Jesus lived the life of love. This love is really shown from the beginning, even before he's born. God, the all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, he becomes flesh. He becomes one of his creations. This is a great act of love. He cares enough for what he has created to give up his place of power and to become one of us. And really not just one of us, but the lowest of us. And his love, it's then manifest in his life in the way that he lives, as he serves others, as he lives a life of self-sacrifice. One of the most potent examples of this comes the evening before his crucifixion. He knows he's about to die, and he and his, his disciples, well, they're about to eat an important meal, the Passover meal. John details for us what happens that night. John tells us that as the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so Jesus, knowing he's about to die, engages in this act of service. An act of service we need to, to recognize is important in an Israelite culture where your feet were disgusting because they're your primary mode of transport. And we notice in this passage uh, that Jesus, before he washes the feet, he knows at least a few things. First, he knows, John tells us, that, that he's from God and that he's returning to God. He knows that God has put all things under his power. He knows that he is God, the creator of the universe. And so in that sense, he has no obligation to serve, and yet he does. Secondly, he knows that the feet that he's about to wash are also feet that are about to abandon him. Peter, 
is going to deny him. Others will hide. And we're told here that Judas has already made up his mind to betray him, to seal his fate of death. Really, if anyone ever had a right to be angry, it was Jesus regarding his disciples and and certainly Judas. And yet, what does he do? Well, he loves them. And he displays that love in an act of grimy service, washing the dirt from their feet. And then, of course, we know that the ultimate display of God's love comes the next day at the cross. Not only did God come to earth for us, not only did he live the life of a servant for us, but he willingly took up his cross, a bloody, uh, all bloodied and beaten, and he carried it to the place of the skull. And there he allowed the nails to be driven into his hands and into his feet. And on that cross, as he's taking his final breaths, he says, Father, forgive them. And then he died for us. And why? Well, because God is love. And Jesus is the embodiment of that love in human form. And so Jesus teaches us not only by his words, but by his actions. And the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples, he would later write that we love because he first loved us. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are to be imitators of God, to walk in love as Christ loved us. And so the image that we see throughout the New Testament and and really throughout Scripture is that we're to be like mirrors. Christ's love, it comes down and it illuminates us. And then we reflect that love. We reflect it back to the Father, the first command, love God, and we reflect it to those around us. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this all sounds nice, but what does it mean practically? Well, here's what I think it means. I think it means that if you examine your life, and like me, you see that you're not always loving your neighbor the way that God wants you to, the first step is not to try harder. Instead, the first step is to focus on God and to grow your understanding of God's love for you. And so to give you an example of what I mean by that, I want you all to know that reading Romans chapter 8 changed my life. When I was in junior high, um, I went through a period of questioning my faith, of questioning God's love. I would say for me, it was a time of fear. I would often have trouble sleeping at night. And so one of the things that I would do to to help myself sleep uh, at my parents' suggestion is I would go and I would read Romans chapter 8. I didn't necessarily read it every night, but probably more evenings than not, 
I would read through that chapter at least once. And this was something that went on, I would say, at least for months, quite possibly for a year or for longer. And and as I read Romans 8, I started to begin to understand the greatness of God's love for me. Romans chapter 8, near the end, it tells us that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers, not height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I'll tell you, I didn't get it the first time I read it. I didn't get it the second time. I'm not sure I fully get it even now. But as I read it again and again and again, I at least started to understand. And that understanding changed my life. Changed the whole direction of where I would go. Without that understanding, I don't know where my faith would be. And I certainly can't imagine that I would have committed my life to God and never would have gone to Bible school. I never would have entered the ministry. And yet I did. And it was because of Romans chapter 8. But really, it wasn't just because of Romans chapter 8. It was because of what Romans chapter 8 helped me to understand. It was because of the love of Jesus. It was because of what Christ has done for me and for you and for all of us. For me, it was Romans chapter 8. But I know others who were changed by John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For still others, it may have been the story of the prodigal son. Or perhaps it was from the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. Maybe it was the parable of the lost sheep, the story of God's reckless love as he leaves the 99 behind to search for the one, for you. There are many ways that God may choose to help you understand the magnitude of his love. But the thing I want you to understand, I want to leave with you this morning, is that if you're going to love others, then you need to begin by seeking to understand that love, God's love for you. And so maybe the way that you seek that love is through prayer. Maybe God will speak to you through the words of a Christian brother or sister. But if there's one tool that I can give you this morning to help you seek that love, it's going to be scripture. And so I encourage you, I implore you, go read Romans chapter 8, or go read the Gospels. Read the world's greatest love story and seek to understand the depth of God's love for you. Because again, I I think we can imagine that if we would keep the greatest commands, if we could love God, if we could really love our neighbors as ourselves, 
the world would be so much better. We can imagine that with love like that, things like racism, like war, like bullying, these things would not be given a place to survive. And so let's start imagining a world like that together. And we can do that practically. I hope that you will consider this week who is one person, just one person, maybe someone on your street, maybe someone different than you, but who's one person that you can show love to this week? Ponder that question. Start there with one person. But even more, ponder God's love for you. Use scripture to help you do that. And then allow that love to flow out of you into your love for your neighbor. I want to close this morning with a prayer. This is a prayer that was first given by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and I want to pray it for you this morning. So let's pray these words together. I'll pray them for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.